Somebody observed that when you're first getting to know your spouse, it can sometimes feel as though you're driving down a windy road filled with unexpected turns. I've got to just add that it feels like that all the time in my marriage. I've been married 37 years. It still feels like a windy road filled with unexpected turns, except my headlights aren't working and I'm in the dark. I'm John Fuller, along <laughs> with my friends. My friends and focus colleagues, Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley. And uh, last time we heard from Pastor Rob Flood and his wife, Gina, they admitted that they had a lot of struggles in the early years, particularly of their marriage. And they're going to share with Jim Daly today about how they learned to communicate better over time. What would you say to that first year newlywed couple where it's <laughs> not great? Should they say, to somebody they can trust, you know what? It's not good. We're in trouble. Yeah. I, I would say that. I would say you need to do it in community. You need to yeah. live that out in community. Particularly, I would think that an older couple who's further ahead of you would be really beneficial in that because they have worked through seasons of trial and difficulty and seasons where they were further apart than together. I mean, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but did that happen for you? Did you find a couple who was willing to stand with you or that somebody you could trust? Or did you have to kind of, you know, trunch through this on your own, kind of the marriage jungle, if I could call it that? In the rebuilding process, what we discovered were some ministries that are that intentionally build marriages. And they, they t in fact, uh, they taught us truths that we first started to apply to one another. Well, this is what the Bible says you should be doing. This is what the Bible says you should be doing. How'd that go? Well, it, went, it, kept, it kept things in a very bad place. <laughs> I was going to say, whoa. Months later, we started to take those same truths and apply them to ourselves. Right. And that's when we started to see the grace pour into the relationship. That's when we saw one confession lead to forgiveness for 10 different things. And God just put a wind to our back. Mm. And as he was putting us back together, he simultaneously gave us a desire to be used of God to help marriages avoid yeah. or at least work through the very thing we had to walk through. You know, it's interesting there. What hopped into my mind when you said that was it's not truth that's nullified. Truth is active. It's your misappropriation that's of right. the truth. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty powerful statement. Yes. You know, apply it to yourself. That seems scriptural, right? Mm -hmm. Look at your own heart before you look at your spouse's heart. We say going to our marriage with a rake where you're raking in God's truth rather than a shovel when you're oh, shoveling mm -hmm. the truth onto your spouse. Yeah, and that's a good way to envision that. Uh, you also mentioned something called that you called the foolish marriage yes. um, and how people uh, need to recognize, I guess, what the definition of a foolish marriage is. What is it? Yeah, well, the, the, the chap, that chapter flows out of Proverbs 18, where there's all of these characteristics of a fool. And after 12 years of marriage counseling, you start to see these patterns uh, develop in the couples that you care for. And we saw it in our own relationship as well. The, the, this is where the fool is, is contentious. He's looking for an argument. He doesn't look how to overcome or to overlook an offense. He looks how to take one up. And if we can help couples, whether it's a husband or a wife, sometimes it's both, if we can help them just realize their responses to their spouse are what really throws the gasoline on the fire. Oh, yeah. That if they would just respond with a gentle word, right, Proverbs 15, if they would respond without looking for a fight, mm -hmm. 
then what you'd have is a sin that fell to the ground, and it's not an offense that got picked up, and you have peace in the home, and the gospel continues to reign in the relationship. And that's one of the tools you mentioned in the book, and that's the first response. And uh, Gina, let me direct this to you in terms of... um, your experience with that. You know, one of the things, you you take all these personality profile tests, right? And for me, I'm a verbal person. No wonder I ended up here, right? And John's (laughs) laughing because he knows that I am. We're glad you are. But when my back's up against the wall, these tests say that, you know, I I can lean on verbal attack Mm -hmm. to respond. It's just, you know, part of the way I'm wired, I guess. And I've had to do a lot of work to not jump on that. And I guess the question I have for you in that area of first response is how do you, when you have a disposition or a, you know, a bent toward defending yourself verbally, like I described, then how do you capture that, um, that talent (laughs) (laughs) and aim it in the right direction rather than fighting to win? As you mentioned, Rob, you really put your spouse first, even in your verbal response. That's hard to develop. Yeah. Yes. And I think it really does need to be developed in most people. I don't think it just comes naturally to most people. I think uh, two things come to mind when you say that. The first thing is remembering out of the heat of the argument that this is bigger than me. This marriage is bigger than me. It's bigger than us. There is a representation that is happening of the gospel And the words that I speak and how we go about our relationship is going to reflect that. And then the other thing that was coming to mind was there is nothing that he could say about me that is actually worse than what caused Christ to go to the cross for me. Mm. Christ died for all of my sins, all of my wretchedness to wash me clean, not just this thing that I just did. And so anything he says about me, I, I can take it in stride because I know that is not the worst of it. And, you know, both of her answers, I think, tie back to the importance that you can do this in your flesh for a period of time. Yeah. But in order to do this consistently in your marriage, you need to be very Christ-focused. The Spirit needs to be active in your life, and you need to be aware that Christ not only empowers us for this, He modeled this first response for us. Well, so Greg, following up on what Rob was observing, how has your relationship with God helped you kind of stop from getting into conflicts, at least some conflicts with Aaron? Because I don't know anybody that doesn't have some level of conflict, but God's a huge part of this. Right. And that's why I would say, yeah, I'm not sure it stops me, but I tell you what, it sure helps me to work through it much faster to get to a a place of of an openness, an open heart so I can come back and Aaron and I can work through something. I think for me, uh, Proverbs 13.10, one version says that pride leads to conflict. And I think my relationship with God how that's really helped conflict is that I think he really has made that clear and reminds me of that reality that it's kind of like he's talking to me going, son, yeah, Mm. I I get what my daughter did, but right now this is all about your pride. And you think about a verse like Philippians 2, 3, which really gives more insight into how pride then often manifests kind of within conflict, within our marriage, or really anywhere in life. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
I think those two things in particular is what happens to me. Selfish ambition is when I really believe that how I see it or my experience, my thoughts are right. And it's just a matter of convincing Aaron that she's wrong and that I'm right. Or vain conceit really means that I'm excessively proud of my my perspective or my opinions, which just makes me laugh because often I'm very proud. Man, how I think this stuff through... Wow, I, I usually I usually work pretty hard, come up with the right conclusion, and try to impress Dean and Zach. Exactly. John, could you tell Greg that yes, <laughs> that is true. Oh, <laughs> that I, sometimes I the just excessive fall, I mean, you're, pride. you're on my major yeah. issues in our relationship. It's I mean, there's so much of me that's gone wrong. Is is pride? Yeah. And so I think for for me first and foremost, when when I can get alone with the Lord, and and even though I often start off by by praying for Aaron <laughs> in my prayer that God will open her eyes, mm-hmm. that God will convict her of her okay. wrongdoing, yeah. whatever. It's ultimately, I, I, I start to realize that that it, it's my own pride that's keeping me stuck in this. And, and that, that has made such a big difference because what's interesting is God says that he opposes the proud and so will your spouse. So the moment that I become prideful and show up that way, they aren't always going to oppose that. God's opposing that versus the the sort of the the remedy is humility. Yeah. I mean, as the rest of that verse says, rather, and so instead of selfish ambition, vain conceit, rather in humility, value others really above yourself. And all that's saying is just when we're willing to listen to God, allow him to convict us of the pride. Mm-hmm. That softens a heart through humility going, well, you know, although I, I can see a lot that Aaron's doing or, boy, I wish he hadn't done this. Yeah, I've got some stuff yeah. in there as well. And then I think that opens the door and creates an opportunity for, for us to then work through something. When my heart is open, when I'm showing up with humility, and that's usually when we can work stuff through. And that is, um, by your admission and mine, really only possible with God's help. I mean, totally. it doesn't happen. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't happen. No. If, Not on my if, own efforts. If I'm left to my own devices. Because I, I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I have to yield to God on a regular basis. And, you know, you mentioned it. Get with God. Do that often. Ask him what's going on. Read his word. Ask his Holy Spirit to come in and, and just activate your conscience. And um, you'll be better. Your spouse will appreciate that, I'm sure. And uh, we have resources to help you do that, lots of resources to help you kind of take inventory and figure out what's my part in all this and how am I wired and what am I bringing to the party. Uh, We have a free marriage assessment, which over a million people, I think, have taken this. It's very quick, um, just a few minutes of your time. You and your spouse can take it. Then you've got some talking points about where are we as individuals and as a couple. We'll have a link to that free marriage assessment in the show notes. And if you can donate today to the Ministry of Focus on the Family, a gift of any amount, either monthly, uh, sustaining, or a one-time gift, we'll say thank you for joining the support team by sending a copy of Rob Flood's book called With These Words, which has a lot of great insights and tips for healthier communication with your spouse. And all those details are going to be in the show notes as well. Now, next time we're going to hear about how Dave and Kirsten Samuel uh, saw God heal their marriage after a porn addiction. For now, on behalf of the Smalleys and our entire team, thanks so much for listening today to the Focus on the Family Marriage podcast. I'm John Fuller.